0: Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more info on the things that we are doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Well, Mary, welcome back. Hello. To the podcast.
1: Thank you.
0: So, why don't you recap for us the end of Mark 14, the passage that we're working through today.
1: Sure. Yeah, this is the familiar passage where Peter denies Jesus. He's followed. um, Jesus has been arrested in the middle of the night. Um, He's before the council. Peter has followed Jesus as far as he can. He's in the courtyard while the kangaroo court, I believe you've called it mm-hmm. several times now, mm-hmm. um, is assembled and he is recognized for being somebody that was with Jesus, whether it was his um, his accent or um, that someone knew he was from Galilee or someone had actually seen right. Peter with Jesus and... Um, actually, um, it was, um, a servant girl that really, this was an important point for her to make for some reason, Um, you were with him, you were with him. And, um, then Peter does the thing that Jesus told him that he would do. And he says, I don't even know the man. And then of course, um, by the time that happened, um, three times, he remembered, oh, Jesus had told me that this was going to happen. And he's just beside himself with remorse. And he breaks down and he weeps. Completely. Yeah.
0: He's broken. Mm-hmm. What a terrible moment to be a disciple when you fail your Savior miserably, right? Yeah. I think, or your your rabbi in this case, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're, you're just broken mm-hmm. and sad. I don't really want to. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that moment. Yeah. And then I am all the time.
1: I was going to say, and then I can think of moments of my own life where I was like, oh, that was an opportunity to honor him and to praise him and to glorify him. And I did not. I just did the opposite.
0: Absolutely. So a couple of the things that we want to throw out in this uh, episode are just some of the connections with some of the disciples in the midst of in the midst of Peter's denial here there's some interesting details that most people probably wouldn't even notice and again it's I've said this in the podcast a few times it's not that these things aren't worth preaching it's just we don't have time to mm-hmm. dig into everything and so if it's something that is is good but maybe not you know completely set with the text, let's wait and let's talk about it on the podcast if it doesn't uh, What I'm saying is if it doesn't actually impact the text greatly, if it doesn't change the story, if it doesn't change the theological, Mm -hmm. whatever, we're just going to give some background here on the podcast. And so um, really we're going to spend some time just talking about Peter, James and John, and a little bit of just, you know, I'd say a a bit of a character study would probably be the way to put some of this, but Hmm. there's just kind of more going on. So as you think through the passage, is there anything that jumps out to you about any of them? Or are there any questions that you have about mm-hmm. them as you you look at the the craziness of this passage
1: yeah yeah well, I guess the fact that Peter was in the courtyard it seems like he was separated from the action sure right um, so yeah what was going on was Peter able to witness mm-hmm. this um, this counsel um, this trial or was he out in the cold.
0: Yeah. It's a great question. And it's one that I think I can answer. But I, I wanna say if anybody goes to Israel with us, we do go to this location and part of the location is completely up for discussion. None mm. of these things especially in Jerusalem, none of these things are set in stone. Right. We can't say this is definitively where this happens. But not only tradition, but there's a number of things about this location that make it very obvious that this might very well have been the location of the of the high priest. So to start the high priest would have lived in a home that was nearby the temple and this particular mm. home that we go to it's now called Gallicantu which is just the latin word for rooster <laughs> <laughs> it sounds way way nicer and crazier but it's it just means rooster mm. so the the home that we're talking about is it's got a a set of of network or catacombs underneath it, which they used as prisons. We know that for a fact. Wow. So that and then the fact that it's a larger home with a large courtyard would have been the type of thing that they would put the high priest up in. We don't think about it this way today. In fact, we kind of frown upon if a high-level pastor of some sort, you know, I think of some of the famous pastors that people post pictures of their shoes or their shirts or their their houses Mm. and they go, this is way too much money. They shouldn't Mm. be spending this much money in this day if you were the high priest you paid for your position you every year they would have a new lottery so to speak as to who got and it wasn't a lottery in the sense that everybody bought a ticket it was more you paid x amount of money to be able to be in the running and then if you made it you got to become it so Caiaphas and Annas are the two high priests and they're going back and forth year after year after year here and the house that they would have lived in would have been extravagant exquisite just ridiculous so that house is gone, but the the location with the prisons and then the church that they built where the house used to be is all called Gallicanto, mm-hmm. And I, right outside of it is a courtyard, which, you know, I, I know we've talked about this. When you think about the size of the courtyard, just off the top of your head, how big do you think the courtyard would be? In your mind's eye, when you think about Peter being in the courtyard looking at a fire, just throw out a figure. Yeah,
1: I guess I always picture just like a smaller um, spot where they're all huddled you know around right. this fire and crowded um yeah so i would say on the small side
0: <laughs> sure and i think a lot of times we think of our backyards and we go was it bigger than this oh, or like smaller our patio than or, or yeah our you know, deck or yeah something. totally and, yeah and this particular courtyard is not quite half the size of a football field but a little less than that. But it's so it's bigger than hmm. most people, I think, would think. Yeah. So he would have been able to, like the passage says, sneak out of the gate and stare back at everybody inside the courtyard. So this courtyard is right next to the house. They're clearly connected with each other. And so everyone has put those details together and said, this must be the place, which is why Galakantu okay, was built there. The
1: rooster place.
0: But what's interesting is it's really close to the temple. And the reason for that is the high priest needs to be able to be purified at their home and then get to the temple without breaking that purity, mm. right? So if you're doing the the Day of Atonement, or if you're doing here the Passover feast, or the Passover you know uh, worship celebrations, you'd have to be able to get from your house to the place. So it's nearby the temple. That check mark there, you know, it's got a, a catacomb underneath where Jesus probably was arrested and put, and there's a little hole. At the top of these little jail cells that the, the high priest could talk to you through the hole in the ceiling hmm. or for him it would be the floor. So if you can imagine the high priest waking up hmm. being purified and then going having a prisoner like Jesus downstairs and then shouting through the hole to him. You know, da da, da 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 And then, you know, he talks to the council. The council finds him guilty. They start punching him. What all Not all
1: what that? But, it, but, <laughs> but
0: all of that needs to be distanced from him or else he's made impure, especially mm-hmm. if somebody makes the comment like, I'm the Christ. That would make him ritually impure, yeah. unless that person really is the Christ, in which case Jesus was. So you have all of that. And so back to your question. Yeah, Peter would have been outside. He probably wouldn't have seen any of the trial. But we find out in another gospel that John was there. Right. So then the question mm-hmm. starts to become, how in the world is John in the location? And one of the things that we, we talk about, and scholars have speculated on this, so I'll, I'll bring everybody into the scholarship for a second. James and John seem to have access to the high priest, which means they might either be in the priestly guild, which means they might actually be serving, or they might be a relative of the high priest or something like that. We, we don't know. But for whatever reason, James and John are allowed into the place to watch the trial happen, which is part of why we know what happened whereas Peter is left on the outside. So then the discussion becomes, were they a part of this priestly caste? Were they mm-hmm. actually serving? And then if they were serving, it brings us up to another character in Scripture who is serving for a time. Remember Zechariah, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
0: Mary's cousin mm-hmm. and husband to Elizabeth, who's the father. Uh, they're both you know, the parents of John the Baptist. So so then you go, okay, wait, are they coming to the, the temple occasionally, James and John, mm-hmm. to serve? Mm-hmm. The, the priestly caste. And if they're doing so, then that's a lot like Zechariah. So then that has led speculation to say, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Plus, there seems to be a connection with Salome, their mom, to Mary. Right. And some have suggested maybe even that Salome is Mary's sister. Right. So if that's the case, then that would also make James and John relatives of Jesus, or half-relatives, I suppose. So then the question becomes, well, then if they're related, would they be related to John the Baptist, which might make sense as to why John the Baptist has these people in his care and why they would be more willing to listen to him and leave when he says, here's the Messiah. We found him. Yeah. So you put all that together, then you go, that makes a lot of sense. And that starts to make sense as to why these individuals would have access to the high priest, perhaps why Peter would want to be in the courtyard because he's nearby. So maybe if John and James are able to call him in and be like, hey, get up here, you know. Hmm. Come on in. Uh, it's possible that he's just kind of hanging out, hoping that he's able to to get access. Uh, I don't know. But and, and all these things are speculation. This is not only church tradition. Some of it's based on you know some, some stories that I don't know if I totally believe or go with. But in the middle of that, you just go, it's interesting that you can look deeply into the text and start to notice details that are jumping out at you. Maybe you'd read a thousand times, you'd never see them, but now this time you do and you go, okay, Mm -hmm. so James and John have a connection. Maybe there's a connection to John the Baptist, that makes sense, which makes a connection to Zechariah, which would make connection to the priestly caste, which then would make connection to them actually being able to be connected to Caiaphas, so they might be in the house, whereas Peter's not.
1: So would James and John have been out as Jesus' disciples? Would they have been secret disciples yeah it's a great question at this point like we know them yeah. as um, disciples because we have um, we have the story thousands of years later sure but would it have been scandalous I don't know that they would have chosen to become his followers and yeah
0: it's a it's a great question mm-hmm. and the back to the the way that it typically worked is that most of Jesus' ministry happens in Galilee so they may not have had to keep it secret there because nobody would have cared. Right. But mm-hmm. maybe they are more secretive when they get into mm-hmm. Jerusalem. So then you go, interesting, interesting. When they are, if they are potentially serving, they might be less apt to tell people, hey, this is what I'm doing. And the fact that they get access into the house suggests to me, not that they've denied Jesus, but maybe they're not talking about him mm-hmm. as openly as maybe Peter would mm-hmm. be, which is interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, it's a good question, but yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So James and John, there's some weird things there, interesting things to talk about. The church itself is interesting to talk about. But I think going with the passage, so Mark 14, 66 through 72, we've got this Peter out in the courtyard, which really opens the question. We haven't done a ton of talking about Peter hmm. yet in the, the podcast in the book of Mark. So just off the top of your head, who is Simon Peter? What are some of the things that stick out for you about him? What do you think
1: about when you think about Peter? Hmm. Well, I've always heard him described as the impetuous disciple. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we know that um, he was bold. Yeah. Um, he, um, he asked Jesus if he could leave the boat and he could sure. go to him and he could put his foot on the water and start walking to him. And so whether that was impetuous or wh- whether that was... Um, Faith. Right. Um and yeah, he was married. Mm-hmm. He had a mother in law that Jesus healed. Um she was very sick and actually they were staying in Peter's home. Yeah. Um Jesus' ministry was kind of centralized around Peter's home yeah. for a while. Um he Fished. Yeah, I don't know if he fished well <laughs> because <laughs> the stories that we have, he's coming back with his nets yeah. empty. Yeah, um, I'm assuming that didn't happen every time, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to have a livelihood. Right. Um. And yeah, he was the one that denied Jesus, yeah. and he was also the one that Christ said, "I'm going to build my church." Yeah. So.
0: Those are some great things to point out. Yeah. Building a, any type of character study off of these guys is is really difficult, partly because we have so little text actually about them. Yeah. Right? We know way more about Paul or Saul, that same same mm-hmm. individual, than we know about these guys. So when you think about, you know, his name would have been Simon up until about halfway mm-hmm. through Jesus' ministry where Jesus point. pulls him aside and says, you're now Cephas or, mm-hmm. or the rock, which is... The Latin word Peter is where we get that So we call him Simon Peter But, you know, Peter is really his Greek name And Simon's his Hebrew name Mm. So, yeah, I don't know what to do with that You're right, he's a fisherman But what's interesting about him is he seems to own his own boat Because it says multiple times he pushed his boat out Oh, right So then there suggests there that he's actually able to own his own boat Which is very rare in that day So he probably Mm -hmm. was wealthier than most other fishermen Mm -hmm. Which, back to the point, I've, I love the joke about he's the worst fisherman in the Bible because every <laughs> time, almost every time that he's brought up his fishing, like, he doesn't actually catch anything, and Jesus has to tell him to throw his net somewhere else, and yeah. then he catches a ton of people or a ton of fish. Um,
1: well, and people. Yeah, yeah, eventually he does, people. Yeah. He does fish for that's people. That's a good
0: point. And so there's this funny thing that, that, that's there, but he, since he owned his own boat, he clearly was good at it, clearly knew what he was doing. He clearly has Andrew working for him. Which is different because if you look at James and John, the guys that we brought up in the beginning of the episode, they're with their dad Zebedee, who is a wealthy fisherman he's got mm. multiple servants so when when his boys get up and leave, Zebedee doesn't skip a beat because he's got other people working for him whereas it seems that oh, Peter's giving up his whole livelihood to follow Jesus, which is man I, you know I can't imagine yeah. being his wife and yeah. him, him the, coming the home conversation yeah I'm done fishing I'm going to follow this guy uh, wait what mm-hmm. um, you know the chosen the, yes. they do their thing and 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 i'm i'm for most of what the show is doing because what they're doing is they're operating on the edges of the text they're they're taking things that we don't know for sure and then building stories out of them which is a safe place to be until you realize it's not actually quote biblical in the sense that we would maybe want it to be mm-hmm. um but so we don't know what her name was. We don't actually know if what their relationship was like. We don't know if she ever had a miscarriage, like like what happened in in one of the episodes. But, but if we,
1: if she had met Jesus or if she had known yeah. of Jesus, um, like the show suggests, then yeah, that conversation. Yeah. Babe, I'm gonna go <laughs> follow. <Yeah. laughs> I'm gonna go follow this rabbi. Um, that probably would have been. A lot easier because she would have been able to see who this Jesus is, that he wasn't an ordinary person, that he was
0: the Messiah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, too, the first time that that Peter catches all these fish, some have speculated that that actually allows the disciples to then leave and use that money to go... All over the place yeah so that. the timeline seems to be that that happened about midway through jesus's ministry so about a year year and a half in and then that might have paid for them to spend the next year, year and a half with Jesus without it being a major financial constraint.
1: Well, who they knows? were who knows? they were also finding, you know, money in the mouths That's of <laughs> that fish. That's true. So we don't really know. <laughs> yeah,
0: wherever they look. There's money. <laughs> How that worked. Well, and we have record, as we've talked about it before in the Gospel of Mark, there are a number of women also who are giving of their household income to help pay for all of these things. And so... You know, I think sometimes people just think Mm -hmm. Jesus just sort of walked around and everything was just sort of handed to him and figured it it
1: out as he went.
0: No, in many ways, it ran like the church runs today. People Mm -hmm. who were faithful to the cause gave of their finances to make sure that it could work in the day and age that it was in.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: So, yeah, Jesus, or sorry, Simon Peter's married. uh, He's a fisherman. You got all that nailed it. The impetuous question (laughs) is a great one. And I I love that you brought that up because I think so many people do think of him as impetuous. Yes. What I find interesting is so many times when Peter asks a question or says something that people think is impetuous, he's actually quoting the text unbelievably well. So he seems to really know it. Hmm. So he seems to be the kind of guy that maybe fished all night and then spent most of the day either hanging out in the synagogue or learning from people. He knew what the Bible was said. And so he always was trying to find ways to make sure that they were sticking true to the text. And part of his responsibility there might've been that he was the oldest disciple, uh, you know that, that that coin in the fish mount that you brought up a second ago. That's that's to pay the temple tax, mm-hmm. which you were twenty years older older to pay that tax. We know Jesus is older than twenty. That suggests that Peter's older than twenty, and the fact that there's only a four drachma coin and not a thirty drachma coin mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. suggests that maybe the rest of the disciples aren't even twenty years old wow. yet. So it's very possible that the reason why Peter steps out on the water isn't even necessarily for faith. It might have been him thinking, I'm the oldest. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be the one that's setting the example. I'm the one that's supposed to be showing you the way, Uh, which is unbelievable. And then it makes it super sad that here in this moment, he has his opportunity to stand up for his faith. Mm -hmm. And he totally fails. So... It, was he impetuous? Maybe was he the oldest disciple? It seems likely he knew the text, so maybe he wasn't as impetuous as we think he mm-hmm. was. Maybe he was just being faithful and trying to follow Jesus. Which there's all kinds of things we and could we could do there. And what where yeah? Where would you go
1: with this next? I was just going to say, maybe he was just saying what everyone else was thinking, and you need someone to vocalize. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just all sit around. Yeah. yeah you, um, As we learn, you know, from scripture, we have to ask questions. We can't just, um, yeah, God, God wants us to ask questions. He's got the answers for them. I love to ask questions. I usually am not thinking about what I'm going to say until I say it. So do I want to be known as impetuous? Well, probably impulsive, maybe, Um, but Yeah, someone needs to ask those questions. And that's such an important part of our faith. We do um, accept what we cannot see, but um, God made us curious and he wants us to use our intellect and our curiosity to explore who he is and find out who he is. So I guess I'm okay with Peter asking questions now and (laughs) feeling badly for the way I treated him (laughs) previously.
0: I think to that point, I think most of us read into the text the way we think today. Yes. And Mm -hmm. what I love about, you know, what the Bible Project is doing or even what The Chosen is attempting to do or, you know, a big part of what the seminary education that that I received was the goal is not to make you smarter about the Bible. It's Mm -hmm. to try to make you think, what would they have thought in this time frame? How do you... How do you go back historically and just try to put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. and then respond, Yeah, which I think is a healthy way to do it. And yes. it's a good, it's a good thing to do for sure.
1: Yeah. It means that, yeah, we're students of the word, not just readers.
0: Yeah. So I think my big takeaway when, whenever I'm thinking about the disciples and talking about the disciples is these are just real people mm-hmm. in real time. Yeah, And we read their stories and we might think, oh, I could never do that. That's a mistake. Or we read them and go, I would never do that, (laughs) which is also a mistake. And I think what I love about the Bible, and we've said this multiple times in the last few sermons, is these individuals show us that God loves us despite the fact that Mm -hmm. we are human, and he uses us in spite of our failures. At the same time, we sometimes actually step up to the plate and accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing, and that's that's a good place for a disciple to live.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's that powerful. He can use, he can use our disobedience, and he can um, make it work for his glory. Not that he wants us to sin, not that he wants us to rebel, but he is that powerful that he can take something meant for, for evil, and he can use it for good. Amen to that. Amen.